that day, things changed for Michael. They not only changed for Michael, they changed for his family also because there was always a ripple effect when an injury happens. And in Michael's case, it's obvious. It's gonna to touch every aspect of his life. You are listening to WorkShift, a podcast from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. On today's episode of WorkShift, we're gonna talk about storytelling, how it can help all leaders and especially safety leaders communicate better with the people that they lead. Stories help us make sense of what's happening around us. At the WCB, we've used storytelling principles in our workplace safety ad campaigns for almost 20 years. And those vivid, impactful campaigns are based on simple human truths. They've helped us raise awareness about safety risks. And because of them, more Nova Scotians care about safety today. And that's a big part of why our provincial injury rate has improved by more than 40%. For leaders, stories can help make connections and have influence. And when it comes to leading change and leading safety, oftentimes storytelling is the only thing that will work. My guest for this conversation is Martin Lesperance. Martin knows a lot about storytelling. He's in the business of teaching people like you and I how to inspire and have an impact on others and how to move them to take action. Martin spent his career in the training and coaching field. He's been an athletic coach. He's a retired paramedic and firefighter. He was a teacher, a government advisor, and a senior leader responsible for developing a safe, healthy workplace for a major national company. His stories have inspired leaders all around the world, including me. And I'd have to say that of all the speakers I've heard on the topics of leadership, Martin is one of the most memorable and impactful I've ever heard. So I'm really pleased that Martin is able to join me for this episode. Welcome, Martin. Hi, Stuart. Thanks for having me. So um, maybe I could start things off. What is it that drew you to leadership coaching in the first place as, as, a, as a professional? Well, as uh, you know, I did work as a firefighter and paramedic for a lot of years. And fortunately through that, that gave me a lot of stories, kind of firsthand stories. And I was able to take those stories, you know, talk to leadership and talk to the employees, the people on the floor and help them kind of just remember some of these safety points and stories help really helps a person do that. Yeah. I think that that's something that we've, we've seen over and over again. And I, I always will remember Martin, when you told the story about uh, a firefighter going to uh, a house where a baby had slipped into a pool and the, when the punchline of that story was, was really, there was no water in the pool when the firefighter was trained and he jumped in, into the pool to save the baby. Anyway, I remember the hush that Every single person in the speech, you know, there was about 400 people in the audience, the, 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 the collective sigh that people took, and, and it was very impactful. And I can remember the stories, Martin, from the first time you spoke to us, you know, whether it was 12 or 15 years ago. I remember them still today. And I think that that really, really for me, shows that the stories can not just be impactful, but they can help you understand concepts that you don't actually have to have the fatality. You, if, if you learn about a fatality, then you can use that and leverage it in your workplace. What, what do you think about storytelling that makes it so impactful? I don't know. Uh, people have been remembering stories and telling stories. You know, when you're a, a child, you know, your parents are telling you bedtime stories. Uh, all throughout your life, you remember stories. You like hearing a good story. So if you could tie in a safety point, it really has a tendency to stick and people do remember it. I've had people come up to me 
15 years later. And I remember I was working on a ladder and I was leaning over a little bit too far. And I remembered that story and I got down and I moved the ladder over. And that's a really good thing if you could tie in a story with a safety point. Stories don't have to be your stories. Can you elaborate on that concept for our listeners? Absolutely. Yeah, because I know as a paramedic and firefighter, I've attended a lot of personal situations. But some of my best stories aren't calls that I attended. You know, one of my favorite stories is the story about Phineas Gage. And if you like, I could tell a little, you know, go into it a bit. Yes, let's do that. Yeah, this happened in 1848. So obviously it wasn't around. It's not my story. But Phineas Gage worked for the Rutland Burlington Railroad. And they were blasting through a rock cut. And he kind of got distracted. He looked over his shoulder and the explosion went off. And the tamping bar, which was some reports say three feet, seven inches long, some say an inch and a quarter in diameter. That really doesn't matter because what happened next is the interesting part. And the bar ended up going from the bottom of his, uh, like right below his eye socket and through his head. And some reports say Phineas didn't even lose consciousness. So, you know, this guy is amazing. They call him one of the, the best patients in the world. The interesting part about it is that the way I use this in a talk, for example, is you could tell the Phineas Gage story, which is like spectacular. Like, you know, that man should have been dead before he hit the ground, but he survived. And now you take Dr. Atkins, famous from the Atkins diet. Well, he died of a hand injury also. But what happened to him, he was just walking along the sidewalk in New York City, slipped on some ice and hit his head. You know, if he could tie in the safety message on that, what I would do is talk about this spectacular story and then the real short Dr. Atkins story. And that happens to people every day. Now, when you get freezing rain or you get uh, the freeze thaw cycle in the spring, could you tell that story to make a point? It's, it's those things that you remember, those connections. Mm -hmm. you're, you're basically connecting the dots for them. Right. What would you say is the most impactful story that you tell your audiences that you're using today? It would be my opening story. And because, you know, that once again, it's one of these things that happens all the time. You just don't hear about it. But it, it was about Michael and it was a beautiful Saturday morning. And Michael was 34 years old and he felt great because lately everything was going his way in all aspects of his life. But there was one part of his life that he was especially happy with. And that was the relationship he has with his two kids. And in fact, in another hour, he was going to take him to a soccer game. But before he did that, he had one last little tour to do around the house. So, and that was to clean the leaves out from the eavesdrop. So Michael he takes his step ladder, goes to the edge of the house, goes up the ladder, scoops out the leaves, comes down, moves it over, goes back up, scoops out the leaves, comes down and moves it over once again. He continues doing this for the length of the house. And when he got to the last couple of feet of the eavesdrop, he paused and he hesitated and he realized. He should get down from the ladder and move it over in order to finish the job in a safe manner. But he decided against that. He decided to take a little bit of a risk, the type of risks we take every day. And when he was on the ladder, leaned over, leaned over a little bit too far, lost his balance. The ladder tipped over. Michael came crashing down to the ground. And when he landed, he landed on his back on top of a little 
wooden picket fence that him and his wife had placed around the flower bed earlier that year. And when he landed, he landed with enough force that that little wood from the fence, you know, sharp pickets, shattered his vertebrae and drove those sharp little bone chips into his spinal cord, which is about the consistency of jello. And Michael's wife heard his cry. She came running out. She saw what happened, ran back in the house, and she called 911. And that's how I became involved with Michael, because I was working as a paramedic that day. And when the call came in, we were close. So within a few minutes, we pulled up to the front of the house, took her kits, went to the backyard. And I introduced myself like I do with all patients. I says, hi, my name is Martin. I'm a paramedic with the fire department. What seems to be the problem? And I'll never forget what he said and, and how he said it, because he was crying and he was whispering at the same time because he didn't want to scare his family who was just standing a few feet away. But he said, I can't move my legs. I can't even feel them. So we examined Michael, and what we discovered is that he had no movement, feeling, or sensation from mid-chest down to his toes. So very carefully, we treated him for a spinal cord injury, transferred him to the hospital, and in the hospital, they did all kinds of tests on him, and then they confirmed his worst fears, that his paralysis was going to be permanent. So... That day, things changed for Michael, but they not only changed for Michael, they changed for his family also because there was always a ripple effect when an injury happens. And in Michael's case, it's obvious it's going to touch every aspect of his life, his role as a husband, as a lover, as a father, and even as an employee, because he'll never be able to go back to the job that he once had. So it was because of Michael and other people like him who have attended throughout the, the decades, I set a goal to try to prevent injuries from happening. So that story, that was early in my career, and that kind of set, set me off on trying to help prevent these things from happening in the first place. Now, you take this story, this stuff happens all the time. You just don't hear about it unless the person was famous and it made the news. Martin, uh, when I think about your Michael story, I can't help think about my Michael story. And uh, in fact, it was you who really got me looking for my stories early on in my career. And uh, the story is this story is about a Michael Doucette. And Michael Doucette uh, was a fisherman. And I, I was in my office one evening and I got a phone call from a friend of mine, Alan from Fisheries. He said, Stuart, I know how much you really care about fishing safety, but I have really terrible news. There's a young man named Michael Doucette who went overboard and no one noticed he was missing. It was the middle of the winter. Um, so he had gone off the back of this fishing boat. And I couldn't help but think about Michael in the water watching the boat go away because no one noticed that he was missing in the middle of the winter, knowing that it was over for him. Um, then I went to my computer and I, I brought up uh, and I Googled it and a picture of Michael Dusak came up. And over his shoulder was the word live. And I looked at his eyes and his eyes were the same color as my youngest son, who was the same age at that time. And I thought to myself, how can this be happening when I'm the CEO of the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia, and with the privilege of leadership, there's gonna be a mother or a family that doesn't get their son home 
when he just went to work to make a living. And that story for me, it's not just an authentic story that I got to experience firsthand because of the privilege of where I work, but it was a story that deeply cut me and gave me the commitment that things needed to be different in, in our business. Our business can't stay the same if these types of things continue to happen. Now, interestingly, a couple months after that, the Miss Alley disaster, and there was five people under the age of 31 who perished in that accident or that incident. And, uh, you know, things are better in the fishing sector. We've seen their costs come down by 50%, but we still see fatalities. But that story, I told that story so many times to staff and to other departments and to other provinces, uh, anyone who would listen. Because for me, not wearing a, a personal flotation device was unacceptable. Not keeping track of everyone on the crew, if someone was gonna go out and use the washroom off the back of a boat, these kinds of things needed to change. And, and fortunately, the safety conversations have improved dramatically in our province. Martin, if I was to put you on the spot uh, today and said, you know, we're, we want to speak to young workers and you had an audience of young workers, we're going to put you in front of, say, the average age is sort of 18 to 22. Um, what would you have to say to them as they, you know, graduate from high school, graduate from their college or their university or, or their, uh, their vocational school? and they're gonna go into the workplace. What would your message be to them? Well, years ago, I wrote a little booklet called uh, 15 to 24, The Dangerous Years, and is geared towards uh, high school students and young workers, because uh, that's, you know, 15 to 24, that's a very, you know, a few years that there's a lot of incidents where young people get hurt or killed. So a few different points. One is that ask, questions when it comes to safety ask questions and never be intimidated by other people and that's easier said than done you're new on the job you know one of the jobs my first jobs i had was working sewer maintenance for the city of winnipeg and i look back and you know i was you know, 18 years old and I, i'm lucky to be here because the risks that the mature workers the experienced workers showed me well now i look back and say yeah, that's crazy. I'd never do that. So you have to ask questions. And if you get that gut feeling like, you know, this is dangerous, don't let peer pressure force you into doing something that can ruin your life or can end your life. So the peer pressure, ask questions, follow the safety rules. You know, you're wearing personal protective equipment for a reason. And yes, maybe that worker over there is using a, uh, a grinder and he just kind of turns his head and you know, shuts his eyes for a few seconds as he grinds a piece of metal, take the burrs off of it. Well, take the time to use your personal protective equipment because it's there for a reason. You know, another, another story, Mark, when I think about young workers, one of the things that became really evident for me as a dad, and dad's one of the most powerful words for me because I have two sons, and, you know, when I hear the word dad, it's just like it goes right to your heart. And uh, my son went off to his first job and he was a teenager and he was working in a grocery store. And at the grocery store, he came home from the first day and I said to him, I said, you know, how did you make out at work? And he said, well, they put me on a meat slicer and I was really nervous I was going to cut myself. And I said, did you ask for training? He said, I did. I said, well, just ask for training again because you have a right uh, to a safe workplace. You have a right to your training. 
and you can refuse that work until you're trained. I said, she's not allowed to not train you. So he went back the next day to work and he went in and he said, you know, she said, get on the meat slicer. And he basically said, I, I need to have training before I'm going to do that. Uh, because I'm, you know, I'm, I have a right to training and I'd like to get my training, please. She said, if you don't do that, you're fired. And he said, that's not what my father said. And then she said, who's your father? <laughs> you know, we tell that joke uh, at the end. That fundamentally for me shows that there's a lack of the internal responsibility system with young people. Yes, uh, don't teach the new hires your safety shortcuts. And whatever you do, don't teach them how to kill themselves because they're impressionable. You're the mature worker, you're the experienced worker, and they're gonna follow what you do. If you were talking to the leaders of that company, how can leaders incorporate storytelling into their toolbox? What management could do is almost try to create a culture where people aren't afraid to share their stories. You know, and people like telling stories, especially if there's a little bit of an audience. And if you know the, you know, you know these people, if they can encourage that, you know, someone gets hurt on the weekend. And well, you know, if a next safety meeting, you know, take two minutes to maybe, if they're okay with it, to tell the story. And because that could help help prevent other injuries from happening. So, you know, I try to think about points to make a story more interesting. Do you want to elaborate on that a little bit, Martin? Sure. Okay. One is that uh, keep it short. You know, that Michael story is the longest story I've ever t I, I tell in a talk. And that was about four minutes long. But you can cover a lot in 30 seconds. So keep it short. Tighten it up and practice it. Another thing I would do for management is draw from your employees. You know, ask them if they'd like to share the stories. Keep a file. When you find something interesting, tear it out, print it off, and put it away where you can come up with that story to make a point at your work site. You know, there has to be a point. You know, like you might have the best story in the world, but if there isn't a safety point or the point you want to make, well, don't tell it. You know, you may think it's the best story in the world, but if there isn't a safety point, cut it. If you can take that point, if you can personalize it, you know, like I showed pictures of my kids when they were young, and you know, a lot of people have kids, and and try to get them to think, you know, as a result of your story, like, geez, you know, if I didn't make it home today, or if I ended up paralyzed, or I ended up burnt, or I lost an arm, or whatever. How is that going to change the quality of life for myself and my family? Uh, another thing, what some companies have done that I've seen in the past, I've spoken for, and they, on their website and in their safety meetings, they would get people, employees who loved telling stories, and they would tell their stories on video, and they would talk about, you know, some of their past experiences, you know, things that, you know, maybe they were taking a safety shortcut. And it doesn't have to be on a job. This could be, you know, in prior jobs or at home or recreational activities or camping or whatever. But that's an easy way to do it. And quite often you you really kind of find the storytellers in your company then. And I, and I would 
really cater to that. I would try to expand that. When we think about, you know, First Nations and, and cultures that have developed over hundreds and thousands of years, we know that the story was a key element in teaching and sharing messages from generation to generation. And it, it is was based in human truth. It, it needs to resonate. The elders would talk about what is important so that the younger people in the communities would understand. And there's, there's a, a metaphorical parallel to the workplace that you've talked about where the mature workers, don't have to be older, but the mature workers are people who maybe find themselves in a leadership position but didn't expect that to be the role that they would play. I mean, they're really great at their job, then they get to be the leader, but maybe they don't feel as comfortable sharing the message with the, with the workers. What, what would you say to them? You know, this could be done really informal. And, and you know, I would almost suggest it's easier to tell a story with just people sitting around in a circle than having the mature worker go up to the front and everybody staring at them like that. You know, that gets a little bit more uncomfortable. But just try to make it informal. And, you know, sometimes you get a lot more bang. It's easier to tell the story then. That's excellent. And, well, it's always a pleasure to see you. I want to thank you for today, for your time, and for helping us all become a little bit more aware um, and certainly understand the impact that storytelling can, can have on leaders being more authentic and creating these safe workplaces that we, we all would like to see for the families of, of people who are going to work. We want them to all to come home safely at the end of the day. So thank you very much, Martin, for your input today. Well, thanks very much, Stuart. You are listening to WorkShift, a podcast from the Workers' Compensation Board of Nova Scotia. If you would like to learn more, you can visit worksafeforlife.ca.